0: probably the wrong time to have just asked this question, I should have asked it a few moments ago, but have we got any Disney fans in the room? There are still some Disney fans. Well, we've been very contextual today. We're going to watch a clip from a Disney film that has a local connection. Anyone tell me what it'll be? (laughs) Alice in Wonderland. Fantastic. 40 seconds. Apologies for the suspiciously smoking caterpillar. Just Amazing. Ask the question, who are you? Who are you? It's an interesting question, and I want this to take two minutes to answer it. We'll just get rid of that for a moment. If you've got a phone with you, or a piece of paper, you might just want to jot down for two minutes who you think you are. You're not going to have to show this to anybody. There's no right or wrong answers. But just write down who you think you are. Two minutes. One minute left. Doesn't need to be an essay. Just a few thoughts as who you think you are. Okay. Time's up. Who we are often depends on context, doesn't it? You know, I'm preacher at the moment. This afternoon, celebrating Tim's birthday, I'll be dad. You know, if I get those roles confused, there'll be some issues. Tim probably won't be very impressed this afternoon. But here are some of the things that I wrote down about who I think I am. <laughs> That's not a European cook, those are separate. See the one, Northern? I realised how strong that identity was in me when we lived in Bristol. Never thought about it before. But it was an identity that became quite a marker when set against other things. Sometimes we merge these roles. Sometimes we're all these things all together. But as we live, as we work, as we go around, we present ourselves as we somehow think we are. Now, I wish the sun was shining today. But just imagine the sun is shining. When you walk around, what do you cast? a shadow. You can't do anything about the shadow. You cannot get rid of it. Unless the sun is directly overhead, there will always be a shadow. And as the evening comes, those shadows lengthen. Now, some psychologists say that as well as having an identity, we have what is called a shadow identity. Because all of us, without exception, through life have been hurt. We've experienced pain. We may carry around markers that we put on ourselves that are quite negative. I don't know if you um, have a physical or mental illness today, you may have absorbed those things into your character. And we can find all kinds of horrible words that we can apply to ourselves. I don't know if you've ever thought of yourself as insecure, (coughs) or having been bullied, or a failure, or somebody who's been shamed. So many things in life can spring from these things. Now don't worry, I'm not going to go into amateur psychology this morning. But in our Christian life, when identity becomes misplaced, when our identity is either in those things that we think we are or those things that other people have spoken over us, rather than in who God says we are, we start to get problems in our Christian development. We start to struggle to grow as we are in Christ. You see, who you are is a complex question, isn't it? Who you are is very difficult to work out. We're going to look at what the Bible has to say about who we are this morning. We're starting today in the book of Ephesians. We're going to be looking at this amazing letter that Paul wrote. And it's not one of the longest letters he wrote. Um, It's not the most complex in terms of his arguments. But it is one of these most overwhelmingly positive and encouraging pieces of writing that reminds us who we are in Christ and encourages us to live out our calling. So we're going to be looking at the letter to the Ephesians through most of this term. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, If you could turn to page 1108, and I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, down to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from our Lord and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that were lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and under Christ, on earth under Christ, sorry. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hopes in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Amen. Let's pray again, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for these amazing words that we've just read. We just want to pray that as we look at this incredible passage of Scripture, that you will just help us to raise our eyes upwards to see who you are, and then to reach down and to root our identity deep in you. Be with us, we pray, as we look at these verses together. Amen. So as we dive into this letter, we get this quick introductory bit from Paul, um, the customary introductions that you get in most of the letters of the New Testament of grace and peace. Identity, who people were in Ephesus, really, really mattered. They were living in the city of Ephesus, quite a big city by ancient standards, population could be anything from 45 to 175,000, that's the historian's estimate. Depends how many people you can think can live in a hectare. It's very complicated. It was a big, bustling port city. It was the kind of place people went for entertainment. There were amphitheaters there and all kinds of other things. And there was a huge temple. Oh, there it is. If you, anyone been to Ephesus, quite a few. I've never been, but incredible place. Yeah, must go there at some point. But anyway, there it is in modern-day Turkey. But in Ephesus is this huge temple, and this temple was to the goddess Artemis. Who, amongst other things, she was worshipped as the goddess of the hunt, of animals, of the moon, a protector of young women, and of the healer of diseases in women. Quite a job spec for a non-existent goddess. <laughs> and here in this big city, with this enormous temple, with all this stuff going on, you start getting these groups of Christians. Perhaps a dozen in a house here. Perhaps half a dozen in a village locally. You know, there couldn't be more than 20 or 30, perhaps in any church at any one time. And these were mostly citizens of the Roman Empire. There may have been some Jews, some Gentiles mixed in. There would be slaves, there'd be free, there'd be rich, there'd be poor, there'd be men, there'd be women. And this cuts right across the nature of who these churches were. Now Paul writes into all of this situation. And you can imagine them receiving this and thinking, actually, we don't need to worry about what's going on round about us. Because we are something quite different. We have been given in Christ a new identity. And this is an identity that not only cuts into who we think we are, but has the power to transform those shadow identities that actually can so often be like a millstone round our necks. So let's look through and see what our new identity in Christ is. It says in verse 3, that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing, and then Paul will unpack what that means. Do you feel spiritually blessed this morning? I hope so. That is who we are, that is our identity, that we have received the blessings of God through Jesus Christ. And you can imagine Paul sort of saying to this group, you know, look down the road at these pagan priests, they may think they've got everything sorted, but they're worshipping a goddess who doesn't exist. And it's actually a load of nonsense. But you are in Christ. You are different. And so he starts to unpack what this means. Verse 3, it says we are chosen. Later it says we are predestined. Now, the mention of that word predestined in some people sets the blood pressure rising. Because it's a word that over the centuries within the church has caused numerous debates and divisions and endless books to be um, written about it. Yeah, predestination is about what did God know beforehand? What has God planned ahead of time? What has he foreordained? And actually, Paul uses this, not as a brain teaser, but as an encouragement. To know that we are chosen in Christ. The people like me, people like you, the God in Christ has reached into the world and rescued people who were destined for eternity away from him. And he has chosen us in Christ. But I don't know about you, but do you ever find yourself saying, well, how on earth does this work? How does this work? You know, if God has a plan, and if we have free will, and if we can do what we want, and we're not robots, how do you square the circle? I really like, is it Charles Swindle who says on this, I don't know how this works, and neither does anyone else. (laughs) I think there is quite a lot of truth in that. We can start to work out how this tension sort of fits together in Scripture. But ultimately, this is beyond our human brains to work out. Because the danger is, we start to think, well, if we're chosen and we're in Christ, then surely that means other people are not chosen and therefore have no way of reaching Christ whatsoever. And some people have actually argued that God then destines whole groups of people to be in eternity away from him because that's part of God's plan for them. Then there are other people who say, well, actually, it's not about that at all. This is about being called in Christ. It's not individuals who are called, but it's the church who is called. The church is the chosen people of God. So the minute you follow Jesus you become part of everything God has planned for all eternity. Does that make some kind of sense? For what it's worth, my view is somewhere in the middle, but veering to the the latter one. You can talk to me about it later if you really want to. Both are key biblical themes: Predestination, election, being chosen, and free will. And we need to somehow hold those together in tension. But for Paul, this is about encouragement. This is encouraging. Don't think that it's an accident that you are part of God's family. Don't think that Jesus dying on the cross was some kind of strange mistake that God made. It's all chosen. He has planned it. He has planned to save us. Your identity is no accident. It's rooted in a love that goes into eternity. So don't look down the road at the Temple of Artemis. Don't think, well, they've got all the numbers. They're the ones who have all the influence. But actually look at who God says you are. You know, we're small in number, aren't we, compared to the crowds who will be at the Trafford Centre today? We're small in number compared to the crowds that may have been in Trafford Park yesterday. They weren't in Trafford Park, they were in Watford, weren't they? But actually, the way United started this season, there may be a flip at some point where we'll be bigger than the crowds that follow United. You never know. (laughs) But it goes on with more encouragement. We are adopted into God's family. Look at what it says in verse 4. It says we are adopted into sonship. Now, this is not a gender issue here. If you look, if you've got the church Bible, it actually explains it at the bottom. It said the Greek word for adoption to sonship is a legal term referring to the full legal standing of an adopted male heir in Roman culture. So what an adopted son inherited was everything from that family. Everything. They had the same rights. So when we are adopted into God's family, we become co-heirs with Christ. It says in Revelation, we will reign with him forever and ever. Do you see yourself as one of God's children today? Do you know that as your identity? Above your functional identities in your job, above those relational identities that perhaps we put on ourselves, above those shadow identities that say what we're not, is this reality for us? Paul goes on. We are receivers of grace. Receivers of grace. The blessings of God freely given to us. We are redeemed. It's a word that just means bought back. If God has paid the price for our sin, he has bought us back. We celebrate that around the communion table in a few moments' time. We are forgiven. We are forgiven. That means we don't have to live in guilt if we've repented, if we've said sorry to God for all the rubbish stuff in our lives. We don't have to take a guilty identity. We can take this as our identity. And the grace has been lavished on us. You know, if I invited you round for lunch and said I'm going to cook you a lavish lunch and then presented you with Marmite on toast, why do people eat Marmite? It's a strange question. Strange question. Malicious. Malicious. (laughs) I'm with you on that one. But if I offered you that, I have not understood the word of the meaning lavish, have I? It's my European food, yes. That will be lavish. But it's that sort of abundance, that, that excessive blessings that God has put onto us. That is who we are. We have been lavished with love, with forgiveness, with grace. just want us to pause for a moment. Just look at those titles that are on the screen. These are the things that God says about us. These are our identity markers. Now, this is not a self-help manual, this passage. This is not for us to go away and read through and think, right, I need to, I need to think about myself as more chosen. I, I need to do all these kinds of things. It's not that at all. This is about resting and learning to accept this. This is about coming into the presence of God and saying, God, thank you for who you say that I am when I'm a disciple of Jesus. This is all freely given. We don't have to earn it. This is the titles that God has given to us. So what? What do we actually do with this? What can we do with this today? You know, sometimes I think in our sort of tradition as a a church, as a Baptist church and the evangelical heritage, we are very good at talking about Scripture. We open our Bibles, we read Chunks of the Bible, we unpack it, we talk about it in our small groups. But I actually sometimes wonder, do we take the time to allow Scripture to really talk to us, for God to speak to us directly through his word, as it is, and that it actually starts to change us? I mentioned the Puritans loads of times before about what they used to do. They used to sit with Scripture and pray it in and say, God, help this to be reality in my heart and life. Help this to be the reality of how I see myself. I made um, quite a bad mistake the other week, and it involved a log burner. Now, um, just about a year ago, we bought this cottage that we, we now own in North Wales that we're going to do as a holiday let. And over the past year, we've been making sure that it's ready and buying things, and we discovered that the log burner had burnt out, basically, and we needed a new one. It cost double to repair the one we had compared to buying a new one, which I couldn't get my head around at all. But anyway, we said, we'll buy a new one. And so I thought, rather than waste the day of our summer holiday where we have to stay in and get it delivered, I'll have it delivered here, and then I'll take it over. So this log burner arrives. I think it was a week last Wednesday. And it comes on a pallet out of this truck with this man who, who wasn't the cheeriest man I've ever met. And he wheels it up the ramp, up to this door. You can see the door out here plonks it down, sort of grunts at me, walks off. So I'm there, I cut all the things off. It's only in a little box like this. And I think, right, I'll just move it into my office. I try and lift it. I can't move it at all. I hadn't read the small print. It weighed 85 kilograms. It was like me, compacted into this kind of space. And so I'm thinking, how on earth... Do I get this thing into the house, and then how on earth am I going to get it to Wales? Jonathan Boyers came to the rescue. You know, Jonathan from Partington, he helped me do it. But anyway, you know, you can sometimes miss the point, can't you? You can sometimes miss what something is actually going to be like. And actually, we can misunderstand who we are. We can totally misunderstand who we are in Christ. We can give intellectual a sense of the gospel and say, yeah, I believe Jesus is who he says he is, but then actually not take all this stuff on, because it means having to wrestle with who we think we are, and it challenges who we think we are. Now, over the years, as a minister, I've spent time chatting with people who perhaps have been plagued with guilt, or they've felt unlovable, or they've been fearful of death, or they've been spiritually anxious as to whether they are a Christian, Now, at times, we all worry and doubt, don't we? You know, we're human beings. That is the very nature of what our existence as a a human being is like. And I don't want to come across this morning as being hopelessly naive or simplistic. And there may be times when actually, you know, some of those shadow things that are going on in us, we do actually need to work that through with a counsellor or somebody who can help us on a professional level. But actually, as we read this, you know, I know without Christ, I am none of those things. I am not okay on my own. I can recognise my brokenness, but it can be very easy to resist those new titles, to somehow refuse to take them on, because we still live in that kind of shadow identity. We haven't yet walked into the freedom of what it means to be named by God like this. Why don't we do that? Well, I think there's actually a root cause, and the root cause is actually we don't believe what God says about us. We'd rather believe our own version of who we are or somebody else's version of who we are than what the maker of heaven and earth has named us. And when we do that, don't be surprised if we struggle in our Christian growth. Don't be surprised if then we start to find ourselves coming het up about things and and worried and anxious about some of the things we read in the Bible. For me, it's it's quite simple, and it is something I struggle with as well. Do we believe what God has said about us? Do we believe it? Perhaps the most courageous prayer any of us can pray today is, Lord, help me accept this. Help me to accept it. Not just intellectually, not up here, but something that resonates in the very fibre of our being. Don't be robbed of who we are. Don't be robbed of who Christ says we are. Don't let others say anything that contradicts who we are in Christ. And I think personally, not to let those voices of doubt eat away at the confidence that God has put in us. How do we know all this to be true? What Paul will tell us. If you look down at verse 13. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. You know, if you buy a a car or a house, one of the things you, you normally have to do is put a deposit down, isn't it? And, you know, you go and buy this car and you go into the garage and you put your deposit down. And effectively, at that point, you know that that car is going to be yours. But it's only a foretaste of what is to come when you actually drive the car. There is nothing, you know, complete about that purchase at that point. What God has done is poured the Holy Spirit into us now as a seal for what is to come when Jesus returns and we are with him for eternity. But it's also a reality of how we can live, knowing we are owned by Christ. You know, God doesn't leave our change of identity into something sort of nebulous or floaty, but he fills us with his very presence. He fills us with himself, with the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. Therefore... I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. How do we know if we're sealed by the Holy Spirit? Well, Paul says actually it's confession before experience. You know, sometimes I think we want to flip that and say, well, I want to experience something to know I'm sealed. But actually Paul says when you confess Jesus is Lord, that is the moment where we are sealed. Well, should we then expect to experience the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Well, I sincerely hope so. You know, if God has entered into our being, if God has come into us and nothing changes, then we would start to question the reality of what we have actually said in saying Jesus is Lord. So when the Holy Spirit comes into a person, what does the New Testament talk about? Well, it says we are equipped to become like Christ. We will bear the fruits of the gospel. We will be given gifts of the Holy Spirit that go beyond our natural abilities, and we will live a life empowered to become like Christ. The Holy Spirit is the seal, the deposit, the guarantor, the one who gives us security to know who we are in Christ. Romans 8 15 and 16, Paul says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Not that we might be. Not that it'd be nice if we could be. But we are. We are children of God. We have been named spiritually blessed. We have been called chosen from before the foundations of the world. We are adopted into God's family. We are receivers of grace. We have been bought at a price. We are forgiven and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We ask that question, who are you? Who are you? As we go through this book of Ephesians, can I just encourage us to root our identity here? Not in those functional identities or even relational identities with human beings, but here, in who God has said we are through Christ. If today you're a disciple of Jesus, if you've made that response to follow him, this is who we are. If you've not made that decision yet, this is who you can become. This is who God will name you as you follow him. So we've seen God's answers. We've seen what has happened. So will we listen to God today? Will we listen to God's name for us? Or will we stay in the shadows or with our skewed views of ourselves? What I want to do, I'm going to read this passage again. Remember what we said about the Puritans praying in those passages of Scripture. So as I read it, just close your eyes, listen to these words, and when we hear those declarations of who we are, say, Lord Jesus, help that to be real for me today. I'm going to read from verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. With all wisdom and understanding he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we are also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Christ you have named us As all of these things thank you that this is our identity and i want to pray if any of us in whatever way are struggling with who we are in you today that as we take communion as we remember again that the enormous cost you paid sending your son to die for us so that we may become we may become all of these things named by you we just pray that you'll give us open hearts to respond Lord, if there are difficult choices we need to make today, if we do need to actually address some things that are going on deep inside of us and perhaps need, need help with a, with a Christian friend to pray things through or with the prayer team or whatever that might be, Lord, give us the courage to do that. Help us to step out of those false identity markers and to step into who you say we are. We've sung this morning, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Lord, we thank you of the reality of relationship with you. For Jesus' sake, amen.